I think part of our biggest problem as adults in society right now is that we don't let kids fail. And what happens is they get very comfortable. They never have to freaking spread their wings and fly and leave the nest. And then they go out on their own and they, they can't cope and they struggle. Controlled failure, right? It's, it's, can we teach a kid how to fail and be able to get over it? Yeah, you know what? You just got me out. Guess what? You got to get my boy out and you got to get the dude behind him out too. And guess what? Seven guys after that, you're going to have to get me again. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Max Price and you are listening to the High School Coaches Club. I was perusing Twitter a few weeks ago and a tweet pops up of a high school baseball coach in Texas showing off something like 150 different uniform combos. It's not very normal in high school baseball, so I did what any respectable podcast host would do. I sent him a DM completely out of the blue and said, Kyle, you want to come on the show? And I'm so glad that happened. He said yes. And this conversation led to so many aha moments for me personally. And I think it just might do the same for you, too. Kyle Mickles is that guy. He's the head baseball coach at Decatur High School in Decatur, Texas. He's also an assistant football coach and has been for the last 12 years at various different places. He played for one of the best human beings college baseball has ever had, Tony Robichaux. And for those who knew Coach Robe or knew of Coach Robe, you might just hear a little bit of him coming out of Kyle in this very conversation. We'll talk uniforms for sure, but we're going to get into so much more. Relationships creating failure models, something he'll explain and that I love, going through the idiot phase and building confidence, but maybe not in the way that society has been trying to build it of late. I'll let Kyle explain. This is an important conversation and one that I think all of us need to hear at some point in our lives, and you have the opportunity to hear it right here, right now. So let's jump in. Here's Kyle Mickles, the head baseball coach at Decatur High School in Decatur, Texas. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Max, for having me, man. Honored to be here. Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. I was just scrolling Twitter, and <laughs> this was maybe a week ago. This was quick, and uh, just I, I, I don't even know that I follow you. you. Just your a tweet showed up on my page where this guy's got so this high school baseball coach has 144 uniform combos. There's a video of his different uniforms and hats and everything, and I reached out to you, and here we are. Yeah, man. Hey, you know. You- we're, we're the Oregon of Texas high school baseball. There is no doubt about it. And uh, we do it, you know, at our place, we have awesome kids and baseball, man, they've, they've been through a lot. You know, we, we got 13 games in last year before we got shut down and I love my guys. And if there's an opportunity for me to, to give them what they want, which what they want is what they call, you know, the drip or the fit and that's what they want. And I'm going to do everything I can to, to help them look as good as they can because they, my dudes are awesome and they've earned that opportunity. So I, I like to try to spoil them when they deserve to be spoiled. Yes. The drip. That's, that's the new, that's the new lingo. I've just started. Our and, players uh, have just started using that word. We got to get some new drip this year, coach. Uh, yeah. I'm only 36, but I, sometimes I feel really old around them and, but I also love that they, they keep me young and they keep me informed of what I need to know. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Anyway, really cool to see. Like I, you know, I, I don't know if you know, Butch Chaffin or know of Butch Chaffin, yeah, but he yeah. made a comment a few years ago. I heard on a podcast, which was like, basically, you know, most of my kids obviously aren't going to go play major league baseball. A lot of them, you know, the majority won't go play college baseball. So for them, this high school experience, that's their major league baseball. And so I try to give them as much as I can. No doubt. And and we're the same way. And, you know, like I said, if you have good kids and you love them and 
and and they're doing everything you want from them, then you know, go ahead and go ahead and spoil them a little bit. That that's not making them soft. That's not making them weak. That's just showing showing them that you care, and that's how they that's how they understand that. Sometimes, you know what I mean. They that's how that's what they need, and um, so we we'll provide for them. And uh, you know, I'm always looking for deals and always looking for opportunities to find them what they want. And uh, our booster club, our our school came up with a new rule this year that. Any money that they raise, they get to decide what they want to spend it on. So at the beginning of the year, I had a whole bunch of stuff like, hey, guys, we need this, 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 and this. So what do y'all want? New uniform. Okay. All right. If that's what you want, let's roll. And that, that's where we are. But we do. We have these like six tops and four pair of pants and three hats. And we can wear, you know, blue socks and belt or black socks and belt. So we got it. It just goes on and on and on. The different who, uh, who, who chooses uh, each day what you guys are wearing for a game? Oh, I'll get to do that. I, there I, you go. Okay. I, you know, yeah, I gotta have a little bit of, I gotta have a little bit of control of what's going on there. Because if I let them do it, they they'll get a little, a little silly with it. Because that they're kids and they're a little silly. But yeah, I like to. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I like to I like to show up what I got a little bit too. That's so awesome. Well, I love it. I'm glad it connected us, and it's awesome to have you on. Can you run me back through just all the way back to your high school playing days? Give us a little preview of what that was like. Then take us through how you got where you are right now. Sure. I, I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Originally, I went to Redemptorist High School, which it's a it's doesn't even exist anymore. It's a Catholic high school, and um, they they closed down for some reasons about four or five years ago. The enrollment was dropping real fast. But while we were there, it was right about probably 800 kids, 900 kids, something like that. And we were we were an athletic powerhouse in just about everything: uh, football, baseball, basketball. The wrestling team, I think, won state the, every year I was there, and. Uh, I was a very average to below average football player and an okay baseball player from the standpoint that I was tall and left-handed and could make the ball move around a lot. And so I had a little bit of success pitching. Um, but on the football side, I was very, very average and not, not particularly special in any way. And we had a, our head football coach, a guy named Sid Edwards. He, you know, you hear people talk about like how Bill Clinton was able to make one person feel like the most important person in the world in a room of like a million and that's how Sid Edwards is. Like he made every single person feel like they were the most important person, and that he, that I had to be in his program, and he needed me, and just made me feel like I was on top of the world. And it, and I was not a confident kid, but he was able to instill some confidence in me. And I can remember thinking, like, man, to be able to do that for other people has to be such a rewarding job and profession. And he had a bunch of assistant, bunch of assistant football coaches that were all really, really young guys at the time. They're probably in their mid twenties. And I just thought they were the coolest guys in the world. And, you know, they're probably making $25,000 a year and driving beat up cars. I'm like, I want to be like those guys. Those guys are so cool. And so I kind of had an idea pretty early on that, that that was something I wanted to do and get to get an opportunity to go play college baseball at Hill college, which is a junior college in Texas. And um, things were going pretty well. And I tear my UCL in January, my first year, right before we start. And, uh, they pretty much say, Hey, uh, you have a torn UCL and we're not going to be able to pay for it because we're a small junior college that doesn't have those kind of insurance policies. And so you're on your own with that deal. And I didn't have the money either. So I, I was a UCL tear with no surgery ever. And, uh, so as far as I know, it's probably still all torn up, but, uh, from there I went to Southern university, which is in my hometown for one year. Um, walked onto the baseball team. They were the only school that, that I had been in contact with or that from high school I, that recruited me out of high school that, had, that stayed in contact with me. And, and they said, yeah, you can come walk on. And, 
And it wasn't a great fit. And it wasn't a great fit, not because anything they were doing, but my parents were getting divorced. I was in my hometown. Uh, my wife and I were dating at the time, and she actually broke up with me during that year. And so I had all kind of stuff going on, and I just wanted to get away. I, I had to get out of Baton Rouge. And so I, I looked for another place to play that would take, you know, a damaged goods lefty, basically, that wasn't throwing real hard and, and had all kind of, you know, just emotional baggage. And uh, God – has plans for you, you know, and, and sometimes you don't really know what they are. And, and I reached out to Tony Robichaux, who was a legendary coach at Louisiana Lafayette. And sadly he passed away last year and real suddenly. And, um, it, when I start thinking about him and talking about him, I, I start to tear up, but I'll be honest with you, Max, if I start crying on this, then I'm, I'm not going to stop because that dude deserved every tear that was shed for him. I mean, I swear. And, and I just called him, and I at that point, I was like, okay, I think – I don't know what my baseball career is going to be at this point, but I know I want to find out how good I can be, and I know I'm probably going to end up being a coach at some point, so I just want to get around the best I possibly can. And and he says, yeah, man, well, you know, if you enroll in school, we'll give you a walk-on trial and see where you're at. And um, so I enrolled, and, and if I hadn't if I didn't make it, my career was pretty much going to be done because at that point, you can't transfer again. And I was, I was already too old to be back in junior college, and – wouldn't have been able to transfer to another school. I guess I could have gone NAI, but um, it, it wasn't looking good for me. So, but try went fine. He kept me, and I stayed for three years. and And it was it was a difficult three years. I mean, it really was. Uh, had issues with my arm. Uh, I was a knucklehead. I think like a lot of us are at that age. Nothing nothing too bad, but just to the point where I wasn't doing. I wasn't on a path that was going to lead to me having any kind of real success in life. And and I robe all of it because he was able to get me figured out and give me some vision and give me a path. And he did it. He didn't do it by putting his arm around me and telling me it was going to be okay. He, he did it by being tough on me and, and demanding that I, you know, stick my nose in my mess and figure it out and fix myself and, and, and work on me first. And, and it was the best thing that could have ever happened. It was around that time, my senior year, things started to get a little bit better. I started to get some time on the mound finally over there and, End up being able to pitch in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Went to Arizona State. We played them in a three-game set, and I got to pitch two, three innings against those guys and did really well when I got to throw against them. So I was never a big-time arm for for the Cajuns, but I was able to whittle out a little role for myself. And and um, and, and so my career went – it wasn't a career that you want to have as like the true baseball career, but it's the exact career I had to have for what my calling was going to be. And that's, that's the coaching side of it because I had to sit and watch a lot of baseball and I had to sit and learn how Roe would work people and work their minds and, and get them to max out their potential. And, and I got to, I got to have a you know front row view to all that. And, and at the end of the day, it wasn't going to matter how good my curveball was. What was going to matter was, was I going to be able to, to impact people and touch people? And, and, and I was in the, perfect place for me to be able to get that kind of apprenticeship and um from there uh got back together with the girlfriend like i said now my wife we have three awesome kids so you know i just had to keep being persistent with her until she finally gave in but uh she ended up getting a job in texas a year before i did or before i graduated and when i graduated i i came on up with her and so uh got into coaching and uh at the high school level here in dfw is where we are and um again, kind of a God thing because I had no experience. I had played college baseball and, um, to get a job at like a big suburb school in like DFW 
if you don't know anybody from if you're not from there, you don't know anybody, or you don't have, you know, college football experience or any kind of coaching experience, like you're not getting a job. And I ended up getting a job at a at a pretty respectable six A school, which is the biggest class in Texas called Richland High School. And I stayed there for seven years, made some great relationships, was able to work with a guy named Chuck Wells who was absolutely awesome. And I, you know, I talk about coaches that have influenced me, whether it be Sid Edwards or, you know, Tony Robichaux and, and Chuck Wells is really the last guy that kind of put the, the final bow on it for me. And he was masterful, still is. He's masterful with just how to communicate with people and work with people and build a culture that's not just about the players, but bringing the parents in the fold and, and making them feel connected and, and just – the way he talks to people, the way he speaks with people is just, it really is. It's, it's special to watch sometimes. And I got to sit with him for seven years, I guess eight years actually as his assistant. And, and we were able to take a school that had very, you know, very little baseball success. And we broke the school record for wins back to back years in 2013 and 2014. And, and uh, we had a first round draft pick in 2015, Trent Grisham, who's a starting center fielder for the Padres, great kid and with awesome family. And, uh, and that culture at Richland's still rolling. So, you know, Chuck did a did an outstanding job in helping me as a young coach and finally went out on my own and uh, got a head coaching job at Chisholm Trail, which is a 5A school in Fort Worth. And um, I believe that, you know, in my opinion, we overachieved both years. We were able to get into the playoffs uh, both times. And in Texas, you had, most districts have about seven, eight, maybe nine, ten teams in a, in a district, and, and the to get in the playoffs, you got to be in the top four. And uh, we were able to get in both years. The second year was pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, obviously, you'll always look back and things. You, there's always things you could do a lot better, but we didn't have a single guy throwing over 78. And mm. we didn't have a guy who could hit it, hit, who could hit it out of the infield. And we, those kids just, man, they, they bought in and they just scratched and clawed and fought and won as ugly as you possibly can. And we were able to get in to the playoffs and, and, um, I ended up deciding to leave Chisholm because there was some issues with the the football part of it. Nothing anybody was doing wrong, but um, that we were practicing football in the mornings, and um, and I, I with the job my wife had had at that time, I needed to bring my kids to school, and and you know I couldn't do it, and so um, I had to leave that job just because I couldn't make the football responsibility part of it work. And lo and behold, you know, like I said, the good Lord kind of points you in the right direction and led me to Decatur High School. And uh, my wife ended up getting a new job, and so it made it a little bit more flexible for us to be able to for my mornings and stuff like that because they we do football in the morning at Decatur too, but it's not I don't have that same issue anymore, and and so it's it's an awesome place, an awesome town. Uh, it's the time it's the type of town where on a football Friday night you go into the gas station and everybody's got their Eagle Blue on and they're going nuts and and they love sports there. It's a I mean it's a football town, basketball town, baseball town, cross country, all of it. I mean they just support the kids and support sports and. And it's just an outstanding place to be, and and um, we had, we were having a great start last year before COVID shut us down, and and I brought back a bunch of really really hungry, tough, hardworking, high character kids, and we are we just can't wait to get rolling here. And so I think we're I think we're poised to have a, a really exciting year. I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I know that that this is about the highest character group collectively that I've ever been around. And I, well, there's a there's a highway that runs right through our town, Highway 287. And I could say, hey guys, we're gonna go practice on 287 today. And I think everyone will be like, all right, let's go. That'll be good. Let's go try that out. Like there wouldn't be one kid that blinks, you know. And so I, 
you know, I said, I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I'm going to enjoy every second with this bunch and I just can't wait to, to get our game started here soon. Those years are special when you have a group like that. We had, I was fortunate enough to have two of them in a row in 2018 and 2019. And then for us here in Oregon, our season ended before we, uh, about three days before our first game in 2020. Um, so who knows what that group would have really been like. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I love your story. Uh, there's just so many parts of it. Um, but I think just listening to it, if you all kind of link it back, do you think that tour in UCL happened for all of this? That this was all kind of uh, the all kind of the path you were meant to be 100%. on, and saying your UCL no was the reason. There's no question. And like I said, do I miss? Did I miss out on maybe a little bit more playing time? Yeah, probably. But the the what I learned from it and the the lessons and the value that I got from it, it was was exactly what I needed. You know, and 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 I'm able to, to I think connect and relate to kids on a whole different level. You know, and and. I, you know, had I never gotten hurt, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm definitely not one of those guys that's gonna sit here and say, "Oh, I would have been one of the majors." Like, I, was, I was super average to begin with, man. You know, like I was. I was. I, I joke all the time. You know, we at my last year at UL, we you carry 25 guys on the travel roster, and I was guy number 25. And and I that is a fact. Like there is, you look at that roster, I'm like yeah, there's definitely 24 dudes better on than me on this deal. But, um, but yeah, it's it's an everything happens for a reason type thing, and and um. And I think it, it really gave me – I did. I mean, instead of me really focusing on me playing baseball, I was focusing on how Coach Rowe was just getting after it and coaching us and just learning from him. And, and uh, I mean, I just started to see everything from a whole different perspective than I think your typical player does. And, and uh, it, was, it was. It was one of those weird blessings, man. But, um, you know, I, I, I think with any kind of failure, you know, failure, failure is not a bad thing. It's really not. And – so many times, especially in our society now, we try to protect kids from failing. We try to protect kids from uh, having that pain and those harshness. But failure is where you grow. You know, you've got to be uncomfortable in 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 a position where you fail for you to really be able to grow and really be able to learn anything. And you know, failure is not a is not a bad word. It's not a bad thing. And we tell our guys, you know, you only either win or you learn, and you only lose if it beats you and you quit from it. You know what I mean? I think I think hopelessness is a whole different thing. You know, we, we got to fight against hopelessness, but but failure is is healthy and failure is where growth happens. And I think part of our biggest problem as adults in society right now is that we don't let kids fail. And what happens is they get very comfortable. They never have to freaking spread their wings and fly and leave the nest. And then they go out on their own and they they can't cope and they struggle. And it's why in the, you know, right now in the you know, age 18 to 25 demographic, we're at an all time high for suicides and suicide attempts and addictions of all kinds and medication and anxiety. All those are through the roof right there. And I, I think it's, I think it goes back to, we, we're not preparing children to be able to fail and let them know that it's okay. And, you know, for me, that UCL deal was, was a major failure and it set me in a, and it, it did, it set me in a dark place. But the blessing for me was, I never felt hopeless. I always felt like there was going to be something coming down the road, something that was going to make it better. And, and it was able to keep me hungry and keep me going. But, but yeah, man, like being able to have that failure and now it helps me to be able to relate, like I said, and cope and, and connect with other kids and whatever they might be going for going through, you know, for me, it was a, it was an elbow injury, but for some kids, it could be the loss of a parent. It could be, um, you know, some, maybe some, uh, a breakup with a girlfriend. It could be, you know, uh, an addiction that they might start to have, you know, there's, there's all types of different failures. And, 
and it's it, it's helped me a lot to be able to to relate with him. It's cool listening to you. I can I can almost hear Coach Robichaux speaking through you, listening to to you talk about failure. I I obviously never never met uh, Robe, but I I've seen I just know him through a bunch of YouTube videos that have been shared over the last you know 10, 15 years on Facebook of him standing in front of the Raging Cajuns backdrop while he's right. talking about. Yeah life lessons that are are learned through baseball. I don't even know that he ever talks about baseball in any of them. It's just about life lessons and, and what you can get out of playing a sport and how that helps you as, as a human being. And it's, it's cool kind of listening to you because I can hear, it feels like I'm listening to a Robichaux press conference where well, you know, a reporter asks him a question. He just dives in with it. You know, you just, you saying that is, is man, it, it, it's really something because I, I, he was taken too early, 57 years old, and had a heart attack, and uh, and he was full of so much knowledge and so much wisdom. And and, and I do, I, I've taken it personally. Like this guy had a message that people need to know about and need to hear. And I don't really care if it makes me come off as completely plagiarizing him because <laughs> he's right. Everything he says, everything he, I ever heard the man say is square on the money. And so. So I have a responsibility now to, to keep that message going and to keep keep his testament alive. And, and it's a responsibility I take really seriously. So, you know, last year was my first year at Decatur and it was the first baseball season since he passed. And, and I wore number 36, his number. And I never did that before. I never even crossed my mind to ever wear number 36. That was never something that I mean, as much as I respected him and loved him, loved playing for him and everything he did for me, that was – that was something that I never even thought of. And now, now it's a badge of honor for me. And it, it helps me remember every single day. Like I got to keep, I got to keep him going, you know, I got to keep his story going. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny cause I want, sometimes wonder how he would feel about that because I was, like I said, an immature little knucklehead then. And I wasn't one of his top arms or anything like that, but yeah, but the impact he had on me, man, it, it's going to last my whole life. And, and it is, it's a duty to keep that going. Yeah, and you get to impact impact other kids and and There's use no what you learn from him through that. Um, yeah, so looking at Decatur, uh, you know, for somebody like me who knows almost nothing about it other than looking up on like Google Maps or yeah. something like that, uh, you know, for somebody who knows nothing about Decatur, can you just give us kind of the the rundown on it? What's it like? What's the community like? That sort of thing. Sure, we're forty minutes straight north of Fort Worth, and it's the it's kind of a best of both worlds community because if you want that small town feel for your family. We're, we're, we're a thousand students in our high school, which in Texas, that's kind of considered small. We're a 4A school. And some of the schools here get in the four five, six, seven thousand 7,000 numbers, you know, and, and, um, but we're, we're the best of both worlds. You can have the small town feel, but you're also 40 minutes from downtown Fort Worth and, you know, 20 minutes from any of the major suburban sprawl. So you get, you get everything you want by living out there. And, and, um, and it's a great spot with, with, like I said, amazing families and just, sports is important school is important you know the the whole community really rallies around all the kids it's it's one of those when you think of texas high school sports i mean it's right it hits it you know it's, it hits all the, the the boxes on that deal you know and uh if you watch Friday, the movie friday night lights or the show or whatever i mean it's it really is kind of like that so it's a like i said it's a great place and and i'm honored to be the head baseball coach there no joke. As I'm listening to you say that, I was thinking in my head, I'm going to ask him about like Friday Night Lights. Is it really like the community feel like that? Because it's so funny being so up, up here in Oregon, um, man, there's a, it, it almost feels like sometimes high school sports are a bother um, to community leaders, to some people in the community, um, to kind of the leaders of the state. Um, 
right now we're in this weird spot with COVID and everything where there hasn't been a single high school sports game played in our state since March of last year. Like nothing's happened. Yeah, um, right. and, and who knows? So um, it just, it's just, it's just so bizarre because here in Oregon, we're living in this world of like uh, high school sports and uh, whatever. And then just hearing guys that are on from Missouri, uh, Alabama, Texas, uh, New York, it's like, dude, high school sports are important. The community cares about them. They support them. They go to the games. Like, it's just it's it's it seems like a movie because I'm like, it's not what the reality is up here most of the time. Yeah, it really is. And, And it goes back to what I said, you know, sports provide hope for kids. It it provides an outlet. It provides a way to give them discipline. And and all of the the character traits that they're going to need moving forward in their lives. And, and yeah, we like to win and yeah, we like to pack the stands and the, yeah, we like to have the big pep rallies where all the kids wear their jerseys and walk through the, you know, the marching band and stuff like that. But you know, it, it being able to provide those kids with those opportunities, like I said, to fail and to learn and to grow and understand how to work with people and understand how to be accountable and learn just all, like I said, all of the things that they need to be able to face life's challenges. I mean, it's, it, it's a win-win and, and it is, it's nice to be in a place where, where they get it like that, that uh, a place where a, a whole state collectively feels the same way I do about athletics and just any extracurricular really. And it's not, tr- trust me. I mean, if you're not familiar with Texas, it's not just, it's not just football. and It's not just sports here. I mean, it's, it's the bands and it's the, the mm-hmm. drama clubs and one act play. Like everything is a massive, massive showing and, and with tons and tons of support. And it is, it's just, it's about giving kids those outlets that they need to, to find their talents and to figure out who they are and, and what makes them tick. And, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's real important here. And, and I've been spoiled. I don't know that I could go coach anywhere else at this point. I, I see how other states have it, and I'm like, ooh, those are great places to live. But yeah, man, it's it's funny because, um, you know, there's there's every once in a while you'll see on like social media or something, you know, or, or a weird article that comes out from somebody who probably never played a high school sport. And they'll say something along the lines of, you know, why are sports like even like connected to high schools anyway. Like, why do they need to be t- with each other? And I think like, all the things you're saying makes so much sense. It's like, it's, you, you get an education in the classroom of one type, but what you learn through extracurriculars, whatever it is, sports or whatever, you get a different education and it's just, it's just different. Like it's, it's a, it's an extension. It's, it's so much more than, than just, you know, learning um, critical thinking and things like that. It's, it's discipline. It's, it's, I don't, it's just so much more than what you get in a classroom. Well, and yeah, and it, it is. And, and here's the deal, man. Like you're going to have to compete in life. You're going to yeah. have to know how to, to win at certain aspects of your life. And, and sports just provide a great outlet for that. And, you know, and then, and it, it is, it's, it's sad that there's places that, that are missing on that. And, you know, you hear things, you know, people trying to take, get competition out, you know, again, it goes back to the whole failure thing. We're going to get competition out. So people don't have hurt feelings. And so, you know, people don't have to worry about getting cut or losing a game or whatever the case might be, but it, it, that's not preparing anybody for anything that's real, you know, like, and, and, and I think too, you know, you look at the, 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 state of our country the state of our world with all the things that have been going on and i think back to you know the the racial issues that we've had over the last year and really for the entire country's history let's be honest you know there's no better environment in the world 
to to bring races together than a football locker room or a baseball locker room or a basketball locker room where we can put we can learn from each other and put any differences aside for a common goal and work together and and learn from each other and man and and to think that that we want to take away those types of opportunities from people is just it's maddening it's crazy yeah my my hope through this pause that our country kind of went through especially with high school sports last spring is just to, for those who didn't get it before. Um, and even for those who did just as a reminder of like, dude, high school sports are hugely important. And I keep saying sports, obviously extracurriculars too. I, I, our marching band works probably harder than any of any of us do in our state, just in terms of how much time and effort they put in even choir. Like my gosh, they put in so much time and, and work and discipline to do it. So it's, it is, it is not just sports, but yeah, that's my, one of my big hopes is that through this pause that we had with COVID for a lot of, a lot of states and, and, and people just to, to let us understand like high school sports are so important. Well, it, 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 at the simplest form, it gives kids something to look forward to. It gives, yeah. gives hope. It creates energy, it, positive energy. It creates, like I said, we, we can talk for hours about this, but all the good values that we need people to have, sports can give that to you, you know, and, and, and not just the sports in general, but just the, the, the types of coaches out there, you know, and I think there's a popular misnomer out there that, you know, sports can build character, and that's that's probably a little bit of a lie, a little bit of a myth. It, it's really the, the the coaches and the good teammates and good parents and all the good people involved with it that can help build that kind of character. And and again, you just you start taking those types of coaches and take the people out of a building and give you know force kids to rely on uh, the select model, which is well, <laughs> ooh, don't get me started on that whole deal and, and every the way that, that that thing runs you know you start taking that away from people and man i don't know i think you just start you start pulling that hope away and and there that's a no-win situation i know you have uh like a specific like written down mission uh as the head coach at decatur when you took over and it would be awesome if you kind of shared that with us too but when you took over at decatur what were your first steps did it involve you kind of figuring out the program mission were you building off of something that the previous coach had already had? How did that process kind of play out? They had, they had, Decatur's had a lot of baseball success. It's, it was a, a very attractive job. I know a lot of people were, were interested in it. A lot of people applied for it. And, um, and so it, I, it wasn't a total teardown where I had to come in and fix a, a problematic program. And so I, that was, that was a blessing. And for me, it was just getting around those kids and connecting with them and then showing them what I believed, I thought they could be and what I believe the direction of the program could be and, and how we could take a great program and make it even greater. And, um, and yeah, and, it, and, and, and my whole deal too, is it, again, it, it goes back to, to how I was brought up. You know, I have a very holistic approach to coaching and, and for me it is, it's about, it's about the whole kid. It's about every aspect of him. It's not just about whether he can throw a curveball or not, or be able to hit, you know, a ball over the fence. Like to me, that's, yeah, that's great, but you know, to, to quote Robe again, you know, go ask, go ask your dad how, if your curveball ever helped, if his curveball ever helped him with his marriage. You know, like they're gonna say, you know, like we we've got to be able to to equip him. And and so our I do our our goal is is to win a state championship, but our mission is to do everything we can every single day to ensure that we are building men that are ready to go 
be relational, ready to go be accountable, ready to be able to solve problems, ready to be able to live confidently for the rest of their, their lives on on their character and their strength as a man in our country. And 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 we're gonna we're gonna spend every waking second that we have focusing on how to make them better. If we'll win baseball games one way or the other. You know, if you spend all the time focusing on that, then you're you're really just missing it. You really are. And and that's hard. You know, that that that's hard to do because a lot of times we we put our value in that, right? Like if if we lose a game, then then I've attached my identity and my value to my you know role as a baseball coach, and that's that's maddening too. And and so we've got to be able to shake that off and and really understand what the true purpose of all this is, and and that's to build these kids into men. And and it, we have a blast doing it, you know. And our we we post our culture all over the place, and and I don't expect them to have it memorized or. You know, we, we write it down for one, we, we write down our culture and I'll be honest, we write it down more for me than it is for them. And what I mean by that is I am going to coach to the standards and expectations of our culture. And so if I'm getting on a kid, if I'm correcting a kid, it's not because he made an error. It's not because he struck out. It's because he's not meeting one of our standards. And the way our culture goes, it's our culture is going to be made up of guys who expect to win, who are positive people with a blue collar work ethic, who love to compete, love to be around each other, who have thick skin and oak confidence. They they stand up for what is right and they demand their teammates do as well. They allow themselves to be coached hard and allow their teammates to demand more from them. They have a passion for the game and a passion for wanting to be great at something together. When our kids are missing on that, it's easy for me to coach them because I'm going to try to do everything I can to coach them to that identified culture and and it it makes it real easy for me to be consistent with them and so uh, like I said they don't necessarily have all that memorized and and that they don't have to be posted all over the place and um, it's how we're going to coach them it's it's what our expectations are and 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 they've bought into it they love it you know our, like I said our, I got a bunch of dudes who who meet that they, they meet every one of those things to a T right now and, and are they perfect no of course not but but what we've been able to do is is define this culture and give it to them and allow them to to be able to flourish in it. And it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun watching these guys grow up for the last couple of years. Yeah, I heard uh, a Roba show quote or a similar idea in there as well. Uh, and it brought back a memory. He had a, a video I, I, I hadn't even thought about. It. it hasn't been in my mind in years, but I remember him uh, going off about how if you attach your identity to baseball or whatever sport you're in, um, then yeah, if you lose, like you've, that's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it ends up consuming you. It's not your identity. It's just part of, it's just something that you're doing. I love the idea that you're using like program standards or principles or missions, whatever people want to call them, uh, to keep yourself accountable to it, right? Because I think if we, you know, coaching a kid up about, um, I don't know, if, if using baseball as an example, if he strikes out on a, you know, a, a curve on the dirt, you know, you can get really deep into the weeds talking about that. Uh, but if he if he strikes out and he reacts in a really like negative way, throwing a helmet like, I don't know, just pouting, not being a good teammate when he comes back in the dugout, uh, you know, you have a choice as a coach to focus on one of those two things. I can focus on the, the baseball part of it or I can focus on the, the human part of it and how he reacted afterwards. And, you know, if you focus more effort on that other thing you know, what, whatever the kid did, uh, behavior wise, um, you're, you're helping that guy grow up into a man. You're helping him move on into life and be successful. And then like, to your point, like, I think that ends up winning you more games, 
in in the in the short run too. Oh, there's no question. And you know, it's all about again, I keep going back to it. It's it's controlled failure, right? It's it's can we teach a kid how to fail and be able to get over it? You know what I mean? And you know, people always want to define confidence. And what does confidence mean to you? To me, confidence is understanding that I might fail, but knowing I'm still going to be okay no matter what. That's what confidence is. And it's different than arrogance, which arrogance means you have, you've never struggled and it's always been easy for you. And so you just expect it to keep being easy, which kind of goes on with ignorance too. That's why you can go look at any seventh or eighth grader who's, you know, they hit puberty early and they're a great athlete and they, they're walking with their chest out and they got all the bravado and, and, you know, they're, they dominate games. And as soon as they don't, they, they can't handle it. They completely spin out of control because they are so shocked that they are failing and they were not ready for that in any possible way. Like to me, that's what arrogance is, you know? So that confidence versus arrogance, Hey, let's figure out and understand that. Yeah, I might fail, but you know what? I'm good with who I am and I'm good with the the work ethic that I have. And I know no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be okay. And we're going to be okay. You know what? It's part of our, part of our culture. Like, we want them to to have total faith in each other. And so, yeah, you know what? You just got me out. Guess what? You got to get my boy out and you got to get the dude behind him out too. And guess what? Seven guys after that, you're going to have to get me again. And we're just going to keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you wave after wave. And you know what? We, we try not to say the word game of failure in our, in our program very much. We, everybody talks about baseball as a game of failure. It's a game of opportunity. You know, it's, it's, I tell my kids, hey, if you ever hear me say game of failure, I want y'all to call me out for it because we want to make this a game of opportunity. And yeah, I know, I know I might I might get out, but I might also hit a home run. You know what I mean? And and being able to have that kind of confidence and and that's the stuff that's real. Like that's that's what's gonna be able to be there for them when life's real challenges show up. You know what I mean? And uh and so just yeah, we 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 spend so much time on the on the mental side of it and you know I if I have a weakness of a coach, I and trust me, I've got a lot. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a super technical coach. You know, I don't, I don't care if your, you know, your fingers are pointed at a, you know, 84 degree angle down on the ground when you're trying to field a ground ball. Like none of that stuff. That, you know, and I, I'll, I'll be honest. I know it's a weakness of mine, and so I try to spend a lot of time working on that and getting more technical. And it always just bores me, man. Like I'll, I'll start, I'll read something or watch something or you know, listen to something and try to figure out like, okay, I need a, I need a, a better way to do this. I need to be more technical. And I always get checked out on that kind of, on that kind of stuff because it always, to me, it comes back to where that kid's head is and that's what really matters. You know what I mean? And I, I mentioned, you know, Trent Grisham before and how we got to coach him and see him grow up through high school. And that dude had a garage band swing. And what I mean by that is he didn't come from a family of a lot of luxury where they were sending him off to all these fancy lessons and getting all this Tulich, he just loved baseball and he built his swing himself. And so he's the best high school hitter in America when he was a senior in high school. And, and he, I wouldn't say that he had the prettiest swing on our team. Now the dude only swung and missed two times his whole senior year. So he could, he figured out how to freaking get the bat on the ball. But you know, like there was nothing technical about his swing. You know what I mean? Other than he was confident and he knew he could hit the ball. And so that's where we were. And, and, you know, I so I, I do. I find myself spending so much more time working on that part with them and and trying to understand, like, hey, let's figure out who you are. What's important to you? What do you care about? And let's let's take that and cultivate a little bit of a baseball player. But more importantly, let's cultivate somebody 
who just likes to throw down and likes to compete and likes to roll his sleeves up and freaking get nasty with it. And, and once we have that kid, I'll take that kid a hundred out of a hundred times over the, the, the five lesson a day guy with a beautiful, perfect swing. Because at the end of the day, my dude eating nails is going to be able to smoke that guy who's who's not ready to fail and not ready for the challenges that life's going to throw at him. What kind of things do you do um, in practice to try to build that in players? Because it's, it sounds like I'm listening to it. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And then I'm thinking, okay, what does this actually look like in practice? Like, are you setting up a lot of competitions? Are you pulling guys aside a lot of the times? Are you talking about a lot of things? Like, how do you, how do you build this in, in actual practice with your, with your kids? So I heard this pretty recently and, and I, and I've always had this mentality, but I've never, I've never had words for it, but there's a, one of the best high school baseball coaches probably in America is I'm fortunate enough that he's 20 minutes from us, a guy named Jeff Sherman at Flower Mound Marcus. And he's got his, his zoo versus jungle training environments. And, yeah. and I feel like that's what I've always had, but I never had a cool catchy name for it. But for me, a lot of a lot of the putting my arm around them and loving on them is all between time. I, I text my guys and call my guys and I'll, I'll send them a text, you know, hey, come to my class before third period. Let's talk about something. I'll catch them in the halls. And so I, I spend a whole lot of time working on the relationship part away from the lines and really learning and, and, and getting close with them and learning all about them. And, no, and that's where I build the relationship part. And then when we get between the lines, it is freaking Thunderdome go time. And we are going to try like I said, to create as many failure models as we possibly can, because I want to see them. I want to see them bounce back. I want to see how far I can go pushing them before they start to snap. I want to know that. I don't want to know that in, in, you know, a district game in front of everybody where we need you to be able to play, but, but we never really found out where your breaking point was. I want to try to create that and find out. And I want to see if I can get you to throw your bat in practice. I want to see if I can get you to drop an F bomb in practice. I want to see, I want to see how we can break you. And so, we do all kind of challenges. We we'll, we'll split them in teams. One of my favorite things is we have a, a game called Point Game, and it, it's modeled. It's it's a lot like a, a Tiger BP that they do at Clemson. That you know Reaver BP that they do at you know Iowa Western. It's it's similar to that, but it's a little bit more. Uh, it's probably a little bit more aggressive. And so we'll take you know we'll have two lineups, and the first lineup will be. Uh, on offense, the second lineup will be on defense, and we'll set the clock for 15 minutes. And half of the lineup is at home getting ready to hit, and the other half starts off to first base. And so a kid's going to hit right away. And there's no, there's no, you know, dead, dead, dead live. It's all live, and we'll start hitting. And we're gonna, we're gonna go at a breakneck speed, and we're gonna, you know, guys are gonna have to run their bases and come back and hit. And the next guy's going, and when we're doing it, we're not throwing little, you know, feel good BP. We've got a fungo man, which it. If you can get a fungo man or something like that, figure it out because we'll get that. We'll set it for 85, 90 miles an hour, put it on the bump and and ha- make them have to throw down with that thing. And and we'll we'll, you know, some days, like I said, each each group, each quarter group will go for 15 minutes. So it ends up being an hour. You get 30 minutes on offense, 15 hitting, 15 run on the bases, and 30 minutes at your defensive spot. And the way we scored it is for every total base you get that's a point. And we have a, a little digital scoreboard that you, you get at like a middle school basketball game. That's got a wireless remote. We set up that scoreboard and, and I'll stand behind, uh, I'll stand behind the pitcher's mound and keep score of that deal. And, and it gets rowdy and it gets loud. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a ridiculous punishment. If they lose some days, we'll give them an awesome reward. Like, Hey, let's go raid the concession stand guys. If we win, like there's different, there's different things, but we will, we're just going to, we're going to try to find different ways to compete. Uh, 
and, and flat out get after it. There, there's times where um, if I think arms are warm, we'll just we'll stop practice dead and have a pitcher versus a hitter right now. Let's go. One at bat. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Y'all pick a team. If your team lose, if you pick the wrong horse, then you guys are going to go run three triangles. If you win, then you know you get to watch dudes run three triangles. I mean, we'll do little things like that. Just to again, it's about it's about overtraining sometimes and just making them as uncomfortable as they as we possibly can. You know, we might we might inter squad and inter squads. You know, can be can be a little bit of a beat down sometimes. So we try to never go if we're building into our practice. We t- we try to never go more than about three innings. But I might take the starters and say, "All right, guys, y'all are, y'all are going to be the you know the visitor team. They're the home team. Uh, it's the it's the top of the fifth, and you're down six. And if you don't win this game, like you're going to owe me. You're going to you're going to have some kind of punishment. You're going to have to run. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to clean up the whole field. You're gonna, you know, and and we're about to find out if they got enough enough you know in them to to try to come back. You know, are they excited about that? You know, is is the guys who are you know, our second group, they've got a, this big lead now. Like, are they going to be excited to try to hold on to that lead and tack on to it? Or, or are they going to, you know, melt worrying about, like, if these dudes are going to be able to come back on them now? So you, you get to you get to always see just that mental side and that mental state of it. And, and we do. We try to – I you're never going to see me ever, 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 ever just sit up the L screen and just, hey, here's some feel-good BP to let you puff out your chest and try to knock it over the wall. Like, because – that's not real. Like if that's great. Yeah. Like, man, we hit 25 home runs of BP today. We're feeling good, but that's not real. You know, that's, that's not giving you a realistic look. And like I said, I want, I want to put as much pressure on them as possible in practice to where, and, and the running joke is we're going to put, we're going to put so much pressure on you in practice that the games are going to be the easiest part of our week. And, and the practices are for me and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to be loud and I got a whistle on and, and I'm barking orders and I'm getting after them. And, and when we get to a game, I'm just going to sit back and smile and say, let's go play, guys. I want to see what you guys can do and, and, and really just let them have that moment and, uh, you know, in all their drip and uh, looking good and, and just let them go. And, and, um, and, and yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of what we do. And there's a, I mean, we, I could talk for an hour about some of the different stuff that we do. But yeah, it's, it, to me, it's the, when I build my practice schedule, the, the, the question I have is, how can I try to break somebody today? Knowing that, I've already got that relationship in place and they, and they know that I care about them and they understand our training model. And they, you know, the best thing about it is it's taken a, a you know, we lost last year and, and that had helped a lot, but they understand what I'm going for. So they understand that I'm trying to get them to fail. So it's not like they have some big surprise when it happens. You know what I mean? Like, again, we're preparing them to not, not to fail, but being, we're preparing them to be able to handle failure. And that to me is, is, it transcends baseball. It's about their whole life. It's, it's so funny. You said that. So I, uh, this just reminds me, brings back a memory from a, a couple of years ago. We were in the, here's the, might've been a quarterfinal game. Anyway, we, uh, we're at our, at our home field. Uh, there's, we're up by it's seven to six. We have a one run lead. Um, uh, the opposing team has the bases loaded with two outs. Like it's one of those scenarios. Um, and I, our athletic trainer was like standing next to me in the dugout, and she's like, how are you like so calm right now? Like, what? and I'm like, because like, it's like, we train for this. Like, if there's nothing I can do here right now at it, when it's game time, I just get to kind of sit back and relax. Exactly. Like there's not, there's not a whole lot I'm doing because the idea is that in practice, you've, 
you've gone over this stuff, you feel confident with your team and you you feel like they're ready to go. I really love the the verbiage of, of saying failure models, like creating failure models. It's something I'm, I'm going to basically steal right away well, from and, you. And, and, and it, I you like know, naming it. That's awesome. No doubt, because we almost make failure so taboo. Like it's not okay. We got to avoid it. We had to avoid failure. We have to avoid failure. Like, no, let's, let's stare at it right in the face and fight it. You know, like let's, let's take failure and look at it and understand what it is and, and punch it right in the mouth, you know, and knowing that, Hey, you might get me today, but dang it, I'm freaking coming back tomorrow and let's go, you know? And if you don't, again, cultivate that with them, they're never going to get there. You know, like I said, it all goes back to me. You know, I want my guys to leave me and know that they're going to fail sometimes in their lives and be okay with it. Because like I said, that's confidence. That's them. If they can do that, I know that they're going to be okay in their lives and there's nothing that's going to be able to rattle them and shake them when it really, really matters. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's so important. And I think it's this idea, like someone might be listening, being like, yeah, but I coach tennis. Like I've, he was just talking about baseball all the time. No, like this, you can apply to any sport you want because it's, you're coaching life right now. You're not coaching baseball. Right. Coach them. And like I said, find ways, think about how your practice is structured and then think about how can I make a kid fail today and not, not create hopelessness in them. Again, it goes back to, right. they've got to, they've got to, They've got to see the positive lesson in it, but let's challenge them. Let's let's get them to fail. And, you know, again, going back to the confidence part, you know, everybody wants to have self-confidence. Everybody wants, you know, everyone wants their kids to be self-confident and happy and ready to go. But you don't get self-confidence just because somebody tells you you're special. You don't get self-confidence because somebody says, hey, you deserve this or you can do this if you want or. You know, let's. Oh, you're not playing over here. Let's go play on this team because we'll play more and we'll we'll be able to have more fun. Like you get self confidence from facing something, struggling through it, failing, learning, getting a little bit better, and then a- achieving it. You know, and then taking that next step and now say, "Hey, look what I just did. Look what I was able to accomplish. Look what I look what I made happen. I'm feeling pretty good about myself now." And that's where that confidence comes from. So again. Create the expectation that, hey, you're going to fail today. This is what we're trying to do. This is where we're going with this. This is why you need to fail and learn it about yourself. And let's see what comes out on the other side. Yeah, that's the key, right? Is that like tomorrow by, by failing tomorrow, knowing even like you said, like you're going to make them fail today, right? But then you know that tomorrow, guys, you wake up, you know that you're better than you were yesterday because Absolutely. of what I just put you through. Well, let's go. Like, yeah, I love well, it, man. Well, it, well, off there. That's got to excite you a little bit. You know, like I, I tell my teams all the time, I go, you know, when, you know, when the, we'll, we will be the happiest ever is when we go into the bottom of the seventh down three to two, that will be our happy moment because we are totally ready for that. And we are totally ready to celebrate what's going to come when we, when we punch these two runs across and to be able to dogpile on home plate. Like those are the happiest moments for us. But if, if you, if your mind and your brain is so full of angst because you're, you're uncomfortable failing, then it's not going to work out for you. You know, it's, it's just not. And you, again, it's the whole, everybody says, you know, you gotta be, you know, you gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, what does that mean? Again, you gotta understand, you gotta understand what failure is. Know that it's not some big, scary monster that's hiding out that that's going to attack you and kill you. And you're never going to be able to bounce back from it. Like, no, it's, it's a, it's a L in this moment. We're going to learn and let's go. 
Yeah, it's like uh, when you mentioned that you're down three to two thing, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's almost this feeling where your kids look at each other and they almost smile, right? They're like, we, I, I know this, like, we're good. We're yeah. you, you just have this confidence, this feeling of like, we're going to, we're going to win. It doesn't like, I've been here before. I think if you've prepared them right, then, then they get that feeling. And, and, and like I said, it, they know that they might not be successful, but they know they're going to be okay no matter what. And then, then you get, you just get a loose kid who's whatever happens in the moment. Now it's just about the moment and they can stay in and they can be where their feet are and they don't have to, yeah. to o- overthink it, you know, and, and hopefully their identity isn't tied into them. Just, you know, I have to win this game or I have to, you know, be successful here. Like, no, like let's see what happens and let's have fun doing it. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from here. Yeah, exactly. It's that feeling of like, I, even if I do fail in this situation, which I'm not even thinking about because I'm, I feel great and confident, but if I did whatever, like tomorrow's a new day, let's move on. You, you said off air to me that you coach football, like a baseball coach and coach baseball, like a football coach. I, I originally, when I heard that, I'm like, hey, what does that mean? I think I'm kind of getting it now. Well, Can you kind of explain that for I, me? You no, know, I, I wish I had like some poignant, like that was, that's a, that's a planned thing. Like I'm, I'm such a good coach that I figured out how to do it. Like, no, it, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but I do. When I coach football, I'm, I'm much more soft-spoken. I, I think football has to do with it's a really fast, you know, heart-racing game. And a lot of times you're going to play with your emotion, which you have to, but you're going to – I find myself spending a lot more time, like, just trying to calm down a kid and get him in a position to, like, okay, let's slow down our breathing, let's slow down our thoughts, let's – Let's relax a little bit. And, and football is such a fast game anyway that I don't need to add to their anxiety by just going nuts on them. The game's going to do that itself. <laughs> and, and, and the other part of that is, like, in a football practice, you, it's pretty much impossible. If it's not impossible, I have not been able to talk to somebody who's figured it out. But you can't overtrain in a football practice. Like, you can't train in an environment that's going to be harder than the game. Like, I don't know that that exists out there. You know what I mean? In baseball, we can do that. And, you know, like I said, if we could – hell, if we want to set up a, a pitching machine throwing 90 miles an hour from 20 feet away, we can actually do that. You know, and that, or is that going to be real productive? Maybe not, but we could do that if we wanted to. We could overtrain it and and really, again, and that's where we create a scenario in, in our in our overtraining models where I'm going to throw all kind of stuff at him and be loud and crazy and, and obnoxious, and then when a game starts – that's not going to be there and they're going to be able to relax and, and know that we've, we've trained harder than what the game is going to be. And I don't know, I, I, like I said, I, it's not something that's necessarily planned. It's just, it's just kind of how it is. Like I don't, the, all the baseball kids, they hear me, they hear me very loud all the time. And then football guys, you know, if you play a different position that I coach, like some of those guys probably don't even know what my voice sounds like. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it, there's not some magic answer there. It's just kind of how it's evolved for me. I love it, man. It's, it's, it's cool to have that kind of, I don't know if it's self-awareness, but just to, to understand the difference between the, the various sports and how they how the, the, the game style is a little bit different in each one and the, the cognitive uh, and, and physical kind of requirements for each one's a little bit different when you get to actual game time. Right. Uh, I was thinking also about, uh, you know, this idea of, of failure and and coming back and and feeling better about things the next day it brought back this memory when you mentioned the pitching machine <laughs> i don't want to be the guy that's like back during high school days but here i'm gonna go back in high school we were getting ready to face a guy the next day who ended up getting drafted by i think the diamondbacks he threw i don't know mid 90s 
And I remember our, our, our baseball coach uh, brought out the old jugs machine. It was raining too. So we they had the dimple balls that kind of slip out of it a little bit. So it's pretty inaccurate. He cranked it pretty much as high as it goes. I think it was thrown around 98 or 99. And I remember, I can remember that day in practice, like all of us hated it. Like, we're like, what are we doing? Like, this is yeah. horrible. This sucks. This is garbage. But then the next day we get to the game and I'll be damned. Like the guy's throwing to us and you're like, this doesn't seem so fast all of a sudden. Like right. this seems doable. And it's like, you're just, as a coach, you're, 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 your job is to prepare your guys for what they're or gals for what they're going to see in the game. And like you said, if you can find a way to overtrain it or set them up in positions of failure, like what a gift that you're giving to them, not only their confidence, but then also their actual ability to achieve the task that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it, it's a special thing when you can, I think when you can get a kid to, to truly understand what we're going for here, you know what I mean? Because, I think again, it goes back to how kids are being raised, and, and and let me let me go back on a little bit too. Like, kids have not changed. You know what I mean? Kids, kids are the same as they've always been. I, I there's like a there's a there's a quote that says something like, you know, kids love luxury and they're now tyrants and they don't respect their elders and they don't, you know, they, you know, they they terrorize their homes and all this stuff. And you know, talking about kids today, and the person who said that was Socrates. You know what I mean? And like that's two thousand years ago. So kids have never changed. It's it's what we expect from them and what and what we demand from them. We 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 just do so we we demand less from them and expect less from them and then think that they're gonna be be able to thrive and yeah, you know, like just I think you have again, it all goes back to you've got to get them to understand that failing is not bad. Failing is just a way to learn. Failing is just a way to grow. You can't you know, again, I'll, I'll Rob's the guy, right? I mean, God bless. Like, I'm so lucky to play for me. And one of his famous ones that he always used was, you know, you go if you want to go fly a kite on a windy day, or you go fly a kite, like you need wind, you need turbulence, you need some kind of you need some kind of negative energy to get that kite in the air. Like a kid can't, you know, a kid is a kite. A kite can't fly without turbulence, and a kid can't fly without you know a little bit of weight on his back and you know, he's got to be able to experience that and get on the other side of it. I, I, I feel like I'm being redundant, but it's, it is, it's, there's a lot of different ways to say it, but it's so important in today's climate and culture that we get people to understand that, Hey, this is okay. Talking about parents and, and kids and, and allowing them to fail. Um, the time we're recording this just two nights ago, you had your parent meeting for mm -hmm. the year, right? Did you do you talk about this in your meeting? Do you try to uh, impart on parents this idea of of allowing their kids to fail, of allowing allowing this to happen? Is that something that comes up in your 100%. meeting? One hundred percent. I'm I try to be as transparent with pop as possible with them, and, and and you know we don't go over a whole bunch of you know policies and rules. I I, I teach them about the philosophy of the program and what what I want it to look like on a daily basis, and what what I want it to look like for their son on a daily basis, and and I do. And one of the things that, that I advise the parents is, is, Hey, let us, let us have him for a little while. Like you've done a great job to this point. He's probably kind of done with you right now. Anyway, he's trying to figure out his independence. You know, uh, uh, I I'll get to this in a second, but I've got this belief. It's not my belief, but kids are in their idiot phase of life from 15 to 25. And we, we call it the idiot phase, but, but they're, they're kind of done with their parents right now. So just hey, let us have them for a little bit. And let us let us be hard on them. Let's be tough on them. Let us love on them. Let us let let them get 
all the things that you've done already, but maybe from a different point of view or a different direction. And, and, and don't worry about it. Like, like trust us to take care of them and, and get them on the other side of this. Like we're all in this together. You know, it's, it's, and I, you know, I say like, I want my program. I, I don't want it to be a baseball program involving people. I want it to be a people program involving baseball. You know what I mean? And so I want them all involved. I want them all aware of what's going on. I want them all feeling like they are fully invested in our program. You know what I mean? And, and, and I do, I, I think, uh, going back to the idiot face thing, you know, kids, they, <laughs> they, here's what people don't realize. And we, we, we grow up and, you know, we settle down, whatever the term people want to use is, but your brain changes, right? When you're an adult, you're making your decisions with your prefrontal cortex, right? And kids, their prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet. So they're making their decisions with their amygdala. Well, amygdala is the part of the brain that controls emotion. So scientifically, every decision that they are going to make is going to come from a place of emotion. And how many times have you and have you ever asked a kid or you know parents have asked a kid like what were you thinking and their answer is I don't know that's the truth they really don't know what they were thinking because everything is is based off of an emotional decision and so again we explain that to parents like hey this is where your kids are in their life this is why we believe what we're going to give them is what they need and what they're be- what's beneficial to them and we're going to try to do everything we can to help them get through their idiot phase and be ready to be a productive, happy, successful, confident person in the world. We we have a pretty it's this is a wild rule, man. I'm going to tell you right now. There I don't know there's a lot of people that have this rule, but I I make it very clear at our parent meeting if your son gets caught with drugs, alcohol, vaping, whatever the case might be, I'm not putting him in a game for 365 days. One full year they will not go back on the field. They I I'll keep them on the team. They probably need to stay on our team. I'll let them dress, they can practice. They can do the whole thing because I know if I don't do that, then some administrator is going to tell me that I'm doing, I'm going too far. But at the end of the day, there's only one person in our school district that's got the lineup card, and that's me. And if somebody tries to take that from me, then they can have my keys. You know what I mean? But I, I, I make that rule so tough because I'm trying to help create a deterrent for these guys. You know what I mean? If they have something that that you know, a lot of I think a lot of kids smoke and drink. It, it's it's they're interested in it. Their friends are doing it. It makes them popular. It helps give them an identity. But I think a lot of them just do it because nobody's holding them accountable. They might not play a sport. Maybe their parents don't care. You know, one of the things that makes me absolutely nauseous is the, the, the parent mentality, like, well, they're going to drink. So I'd rather them drink in my house anyway. And like, like in our community and and again, we have a great community, but as of recently, like, like a lot of parents are, are hosting like key parties. You know what I mean? Where all the kids will come to the house, we'll hold their keys, and make sure they're being responsible drinkers. Like, no, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. These kids are, they're in their idiot phase. They can't be responsible. And they absolutely can't be responsible with, with drugs and alcohol involved. And, and so, you know, and, and I'm not, it's not, it's certainly not a witch hunt. I'm not, if I, if I find out that there's some party going on, I'm not driving out to see if I can bust my guys. Cause then you're not going to have, be able to create any kind of trust with that. But the way I tell them is, Look, if you get caught, you know, something comes across my desk where you got caught at school or you got arrested or there's some kind of ticket for minor in possession, whatever the case might be, if it comes across my desk and we have to deal with it, then this is you're not playing for 365 days. And I also tell the parents the same thing. I go, but if 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 I hear something like if it's hearsay, like, hey, man, Johnny was at that party and he was pretty drunk. If I hear something like that, I'm not going to enforce that punishment off of hearsay. 
but I'm going to talk to your kid about it. And I'm going to call you that day to let you know what I heard about your son. Cause I would, if those rumors were out there about my kids, I would want to know about it. And so just keeping those lines of communication and transparency open, but every, every kid and every parent knows specifically what that rule is. And we haven't had to deal with it yet, but at this point, if it happens, like there's no turning back on it. Like there's not, if it, it could be our best player, you know, the day before a district championship game, like that, everybody, everybody in the whole program knows exactly what our rule is. And again, it goes back to, we want to try to create a deterrent so these kids can get through their idiot phase as unscathed as possible, right? We don't want them to have some kind of drug or alcohol addiction or be in a situation where, you know, they, they don't have an education or they got a girl that they don't care about pregnant. Like we're going to try to do everything we can to, to leave as few bruises as possible. So when they turn 25, when they turn 26 and that brain's fully developed and they can think logically now, they don't have all of this, all of these scars that they can't overcome at any point. You know, I don't, I don't think people wake up when they're 50 and like, you know what, today's a good day to become a drunk or today's a a good day to become a womanizer. Today's a good day to become, you know, an addict, you know, not to bash Ron Washington, but that when he got in trouble for the cocaine and stuff, it's like, yeah. Yeah, the first time I've ever done that. Like Ron, come on, what is that? <laughs> sure, like, maybe, but you know, like that's not that's not natural. You know, any habit, any bad habit that an adult has in their thirties, forties, and fifties, it started in their idiot phase. Like I, I know there's exceptions to every rule, but I, I'll make that my Alamo. That if you took all the data for that for any adult with with womanizing or an addiction of any kind that it all started back when they were in their idiot phase. And so again, the very long story of it is we're going to do everything we can to try to, to prevent that. And like I said, going back to the parent meeting, they all, they all know what they all know what our rules are. They all know what we're trying to do within our program and the value that we see in it. So many good points that, that coaches can, can take from that parents too, for any parent who, happens to listen. One one thing you said in there that I really globbed onto and really liked, and I, I say this because I've seen some coaches during my my time in, in Oregon who have who have principals, not not the head of their school, but you know, principals with an E. Um, and uh, something comes up in their program and rather than stick to their principles, they let outside influences and even even the principal with an A um, end up having a say in it. And and you what you said was that if you're going to take my lineup card, you can take my keys too. And I think we need more coaches who are willing to take that stand. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's a scary place in society if we're going to have our principles and then when they're challenged, when we when we have to rely on them. Uh, in order just to keep our job, we say, yeah, okay, fine. I'll, I'll relent this time. Um, it, it can lead to a lot of issues down the road and whatnot. And so I just, I, I love that. <laughs> what you said is so awesome. Yeah. If you're going to take my lineup card, you might as well take my keys while you're at it. Yeah. Because, you know, it, and I, and I was totally transparent, you know, when I was being interviewed, I said, Hey, I'm going to have this rule and I need to know right now if y'all are going to be okay with this, because if not, then we're going to have a problem and everybody is supported and, and I, you know, I have and all the parents have been supportive because parents want no parent. I don't think that cares about their kid wants their kid running around, you know, drinking and smoking weed and all this other stuff. Because I really don't think that there's parents that are like, yeah, I hope my kid's doing that right now. You know, like there's it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday night. And I think probably most of my parents are worried sick about what their kids are out doing if they're not at home. You know, like that's that's, right. that's the natural aspect. though. So I want to create like that. That hey, we're a partnership here. Like we're trying to, we're we have the same goal. We want to get your kid through these difficult teenage years 
we want to get him through it successfully and without as many bruises as possible, like I said. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, it, it everybody's been real supportive of it, and and they know they know where we stand, and and so again, just knocking on wood, hoping that we don't have any issues with it. But the kids definitely know what, what's going on. Yeah, it's one of those rules you have in place, and you really, really hope you never have to actually enforce it. You hope your kids do the right thing, and but they're teenagers; they're they're in the idiot phase. You never know, it is, man. And, and I and I tell them like I, they they know how I feel about it. like I was like I always let them know, hey, this is where you are. I tell them I tell them about you know the the they can't think with the prefrontal cortex because it's not developing. They know they know what they're going through, and, and if you feel like this, it's probably because of this and. You know, there's exceptions to every rule, and and I, you know, there obviously things like depression and anxiety are serious, and and we've got a, you know, we have a mental health crisis in our country. There's no question about it. But for the for the general problems that, are, you know, the the standard problems that most kids have, they don't the problems exist because they don't know what they're facing. You know what I mean? Like, let's set it up for them. Let's put it on a tee for them, so at least they understand what's going on and why things are the way they are. And I, you know, when it breaks my heart more than anything when I find a, you know, when you hear about a, a teenager committing suicide and it's happening more and more and it's like, man, they're not even out of their idiot phase yet. They're not even into a part where they can think rationally, truly rationally and, and logically. And it's, and there's no reset button. It's just, it, it kills me every time. That's a bad choice of words, but it breaks my heart every single time. And, you know, like what can we do more to just to let them know, what they're up against, you know, what this is, this is why this is happening. This is why you might feel the way you do. This is, this is what's going on in your brain. This is what's going on in your life. And so here again, this is, we're, we're, we're arming them with what they need to be able to face the challenge and, and hopefully training them on how to fail and how to get on the other side of it. Yeah, that's the hope. And I think like we talked about before high school sports or extracurricular, I can't even speak now, extracurriculars. Uh, I think those are great opportunities for that, for kids to learn and understand that while they're going through this idiot phase, because sometimes the classroom's great. Sometimes it's not enough for a lot of kids, for most kids, I'd say, and kind of figuring this stuff out as they go. Um, Right. Well, especially now where, you know, we, we don't want kids to fail and we want to make sure our graduation rates are good. And we want to make sure that, they're everybody's happy and feeling great about everything and it's just not it's not realistic it's not you gotta get it's not real life you gotta give them them real you gotta give them the real stuff be real whatever you want to call it whatever slang you need to use like you they arm them with what's real and what they need to be able to face it you know what i mean we we just keep putting band-aids on things and, and expect expect them to be okay and and it's it's not working that way it's just not it's not. I agree. I think uh, one of the things you mentioned is the the fact that you have kids. Um, I know they're all young. Uh, obviously, you're you're super passionate about coaching. Um, you're married, so you're you're like a lot of us. You're you've got a couple roles in life. You're not just getting to you know go to work every day and and teach and coach baseball. There's a lot more to life than that. Um, how do you find yourself balancing being a dad and a husband and a coach? Because for a lot of us, obviously that's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, uh, nights missed and, and time missed and balancing schedules. And, uh, how does your family do it? Well, my wife's a, a rock star, obviously. I mean, I, I don't know that I could do this without somebody as supportive as her and, and she, she does. I mean, wives are going to get beat up in this in being a coach's wife. Like that's, 
that's a tough deal, man. It's probably, I'm sure being an army or a military wife is, is harder, but it's gotta be close to second. Right. And, and, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, I've got to be able to click in and out. And so we, we still live, we don't, I don't live in Decatur. We, uh, my wife actually works on the other side of the Metroplex. So I drive 45 minutes a day. She drives 45 minutes a day. We kind of live in the middle and, um, and, and that's my decompression time. Like that is my time to, to leave whatever I need to leave at home and focus on school and baseball or, you know, then, or focus on school and baseball and then get ready to leave at home. Cause when I, Hey, when I walk in the door, it is on at my house. And if the word baseball or school comes up, then, then that's not going to be the move because and, and really my kids don't, like, I don't have time to like, think about my, you know, my next practice when I'm at home because they're just, it's a constant barrage. You know, they're, they're, they're on me, they're on me all the time and it's, we're having fun and we're enjoying, you know, just being around each other and loving each other. And, and, um, and so I think you have to be able to click in and out, you know, like when it, when I'm at school and it on the field, that's where I'm at. And when I'm at home, that's where I'm at. And you got to be where your feet are. I think I mentioned that before. I mean, you've got to, if you start bringing other stuff in and out, then, then you're going to, you're going to spin out of control, I think. And, so I do. I mean, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time at home thinking about the games and, and it's, it's a blessing for my, my wife. She loves what I do. It's a struggle for her sometimes, but she's not a wife that is like all in on it. Like she's not going to ask me a bunch of questions about, you know, like, well, how'd the team feel about today? Or how'd y'all do, you know, like a lot of times, like I'll get home from a game and she don't even know if we want or loss. Like she could care less sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, like I walk in after a game and like, her first words would be like, Hey, can you do the dishes before you go to bed? Like she doesn't care if we win or lose, you know, like, and so that helps me stay pretty balanced as well. Knowing that, that she's not going to, you know, dangle that worm out there for me to take it, you know, because if she did, I'd probably bring all my work home with it with me. But, uh, she does a great job of, of keeping me in line. Like, like all the good wives do. Yeah. No kidding. The decompression time, 45 minutes, uh, almost jealous of that. I mean, I'm not jealous of it. Let me just say right now, but mine's about a 10 minute drive and yeah, that's, that's pretty I, good. I but, that. Yeah. I mean, that opportunity to just, just reflect and get out of one pair of shoes, so to speak, and get into another, have 45 minutes to do that. That's in some ways, that's a gift. No, it is. And, and people ask me that all the time. Cause I, I do live so far, putting a lot of miles on my truck and and like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, well, if I didn't, then I would have no time to myself. And, and, and I can live with that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at and who I am. And I don't, I get most of my satisfaction from, from being there for others and helping others. And like, I, I mentioned, I've mentioned that to my guys before, you know, when you live, when you live selfishly and you make it all about you, then, then you're never going to get rewarded because there's nothing, there's nothing that's ever going to be good enough. But when you, when you live selflessly and try to, live for other people and figure out ways that you can make their lives better than you get repaid like 10,000 times more than you could ever do it. Just being, you know, thinking about yourself. And so I, I, I feel pretty fulfilled and I, I, I have a pretty good sense of what my purpose is in life. And so I don't, I don't need a whole lot for me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not somebody who, you know, I needs, I don't need to go on, you know, hunting or fishing trips or boys trips to Vegas or go do this or go do that to get away from it. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at in my life, but, but I do, I mean, that, that drive is nice to have because I can listen to a podcast. I can listen to some music. I can make some calls if I need to. I can just, I can just breathe for a little while. And it's, it's, it's been a little blessing. I said a lot of miles on the old truck, but a, 
been a blessing overall. <laughs> no kidding, I bet. Man, it's been you you've dropped a lot of knowledge on here and I, I know there's a lot more in there. And before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance and kind of hand the mic over to you and see if you had any parting thoughts or anything for young coaches or old coaches or anything that we maybe should have gotten to, but didn't just kind of hand over the mic to you and, and let you kind of finish things out with whatever you want to do. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, thinking about young coaches and just coaches today, our responsibility is like, we've already alluded to a lot. Our responsibility right now is, is, is bigger than it's ever been before. And, and I think that we all have to understand in this profession you know, whether you're a young coach or an old coach, like you're not going to have all the answers, but you have to constantly be working on yourself and your moral center. And we don't need coaches that are going to come around, you know, cussing with around our kids or talking about, you know, old, old college glory stories, you know what I'm talking about? And, and creating this environment where they, where kids think that it's okay to not have a high moral standard. You know what I mean? We, we have to be better. We have to create uh, and the idea that not an idea, but just the reality that, hey, this is what you need in your life. This is what's important. These other things are not important. And just really have that strong moral center. And like I said, you're not always going to have the answers, but you better you better be representing yourself the way that God wants you representing yourself. You better have that. Like I, said, I keep going back to that that moral center where where you know right from wrong and your kids know you know right from wrong. I, I think that so many times we have guys, they might be good, great X and O coaches and have good relationships with the kids, but they're not living the lives that they truly need to be modeling for their, the young people that are, that are looking up to them. And so it is, it's a huge responsibility that we have and, and you got to sacrifice some stuff, but if you're not willing to do that, then, then maybe this isn't for you, but you, we, we just need, we need to keep growing you know, men and women of character in our profession. And again, always, always spend time to work on you, to try to fix you first, to try to get you in a position where, where you can be that, that, that great role model for the kids you're around. You're going to make mistakes. We're not, none of us are going to be perfect. Like that's like, throw that out the window. But, but I think if your kids know that you're always trying to do the right thing, then that's going to show. And they're going to also try to emulate that and and know right from wrong and say, you know what? Doing the right thing is pretty cool sometimes. Yeah, it is. Kyle, I am I'm so thankful that you tweeted that video of the uniforms. Uh, I feel like I met somebody down there in Texas who's eerily similar to me in a lot of ways. A lot of things you said, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like my life so so close to it. Uh, you dropped so many like awesome gold nuggets that are helpful for obviously baseball coaches, but coach of all sports, I think. And I just I'm I'm so thankful that we got connected and were able to make this happen and you and your family were able to kind of lend you away. I know it's almost midnight over there for no, you, okay. but uh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on. Max, like I said, it's truly been an honor, man. I, you know, I'm very humbled by the fact that you asked me to be here, and um, but I'm I'm glad I had a chance to meet with you, man. This is this has been a lot of fun, and hopefully we get to do it again sometime. Yeah, I hope so. I think there's some more in there we can squeeze oh, out. There's here. always some more. <laughs> Thanks, man. I feel like Kyle is my long lost brother. Seriously, I could talk to him for hours. I could not believe 
how quickly that conversation went by. So much useful stuff. Uh, you can hopefully put it right into your program right away, regardless of the sport. It doesn't have to be baseball. I think it transfers anywhere. But man, I, I feel like there's so much more that Coach Mickles has in his brain that we need to get out. Um, so I think he's a guy that we'll definitely have to have back on the show in the future. Um, huge thanks to Kyle for coming on the show and for doing it so late at night. You know, I've realized doing this podcast from the West Coast that uh, a podcast host probably has a much easier job of it living on the East Coast in terms of time. Anytime I'm trying to get somebody from, you know, Texas or East uh, from there, it's, it's really difficult to find a time, especially when kids are involved. So usually ends up being late at night. And so Kyle and I were almost to midnight his time by the time the conversation ends, uh, ended. So uh, anyway, huge thanks to Kyle for giving up the wee hours of his night to join the club for that conversation. And speaking of joining the club, if you haven't yet, be sure to sign up and become a free member of the High School Coaches Club. You'll instantly join the premier national network of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, and more. You'll also get the weekly newsletter. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up, and you can find that link in the show notes. Thank you to everybody who's already become a member. Be sure to follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at HS Coaches Club. Visit the website, highschoolcoachesclub.com. Reach out to me personally, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com or on Twitter at Mr. Max Price. If you or anyone you know would make for a great guest here on the show, you know what to do let me know. (laughs) All right, that's it. You're awesome. You matter. I appreciate you. If there's anything more I can do for you, just let me know. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.